0: Today, we're talking about procrastination and perfectionism. When's the last time you went cliff jumping? Have you ever noticed that the longer you stand up there at the cliff, looking down at the water, calculating how far it is, what it's going to be like in the air, worrying about how you land it, and the longer you stay up there, the less likely you are to jump, right? So I saw a quote on Instagram probably two or three weeks ago, it was right before I decided to push the button and publish the first two podcast episodes that I had recorded. And the quote was on the account of somebody named Richie Norton. He's a motivational speaker. And it's, it was something of the effect of don't wait till you're ready to get started. Because if you wait until you feel completely ready and completely at peace, and just zen about doing something, it's probably never going to happen. So sometimes you just have to jump and hope it lands well, because you believe in yourself enough to at least do that. Um, Back when I was a new life coach, I had just graduated from life coaching school, I had no idea how to go out and get myself clients. I knew how to do the coaching part, but Acquisition of clients was completely new. So I signed up for a course taught by a business coach who was also a life coach. And we had accountability buddies. We were paired up so that we could help somebody else stay accountable and get more out of the course. And my accountability buddy was this girl from the South. She had a really cute accent. Her name was Jennifer. And she was just like me, brand new in the industry. And she wanted to be a blogger as well as a coach because back in 2007, blogging was like the new hot thing. You know, it was a great way to get your message out. It was a new platform. It was exciting. It was kind of novel. So she had a couple of different blog names that she was going back and forth between. And she had big ideas and she was so excited about it. And I was excited for her because I don't remember what her names were, but they were, she was telling me what kind of the graphics would look like and, she had some really clever ideas and I thought it was going to be successful if she really just threw herself into it because she had so much passion around it. So we, I think the course was about a two month long course. And by the end of the course, she still hadn't locked down a blog name and she was kind of busy with work. So it was kind of on the back burner, but she was still really excited about it. And we decided to keep in touch after the course. So six months after, we were still in touch, but she still hadn't started. And she kept saying, oh, I can't decide which blog name I want to go with. And I thought, there's got to be, this has got to be like the iceberg and there's something deeper under the surface from that's holding her back. Maybe it's time management. Maybe she doesn't have time or she doesn't know how to find the time. Or maybe she's honestly just scared to push that button or pull the trigger and go I, I didn't know why um, we didn't keep in touch much after that, but it just kind of dawned on me that when someone is so excited about doing something and they don't act on it, that energy, it's, it gets stalled in them and it turns into procrastination, um, which creates anxiety, frustration. It could even lead towards resentment towards yourself for not being able to. Keep moving or resentment towards life circumstances that can keep you from leaping. I just feel like so many people are going to be able to relate to this. I know I can. I can think of two specific examples in my life. One where I didn't let perfectionism slow me down. I was ready to just jump into something, think on my feet. It was awesome. It was like the stars aligned and I was just going. And then another time where I let the fear of moving forward stalled me for years and years and years. But I actually really was kind of a perfectionist when I was a kid. I was used to getting good grades in school and I held myself to a high standard. And then it all started crashing down when I got diagnosed when I was 18 with fibromyalgia. So I was really tired. It's kind of like I had mono. I was just fatigued, exhausted slept so much. I remember sleeping 14 hours at night and then sleeping during the day for a few hours. And I had muscle pain and sports injuries that were not healing. And I'd already gotten into college at that point, which was cool. But <laughs> my grades, my second semester of my senior year weren't great, but they were okay enough that my they didn't send the new grades to my school and to the college and say, hey, uh, maybe reconsider. But uh, when I got to college, it was definitely a struggle because my energy wasn 't what it I was used to, and I remember my sophomore year of college standing in a checkout line at a grocery store, and I was really tired that day and part one of the symptoms I had and I was on medication for fibromyalgia, but it wasn 't always effective, was that I had brain f- fog, and I remember how it felt overwhelming to stand at a checkout and just be standing there waiting for them to say, okay, here's, you know, give me your card. And just the standing there stressed me out. It's hard to explain. It's not like I was anxious. It's just that I didn't feel good. And anytime I was standing still, I could feel it more. If I was busy and moving, then I was okay. But if I had to stand still, it caught up to me. And I was like, man, I don't even feel good. This is so hard. Just checking out of of a grocery store. And I remember I had two choices in that moment. One thought was I was being hard on myself. Like, gosh, judgment. Why is this so hard for you? Like, how pathetic. And then the other thought, the one that I went with, was it's kind of like humor. This is crazy. I can't believe that this is so hard right now for me. I just have to let it go and not demean myself because i'm struggling with something that i i never ever thought would be hard for me right so at that point i think is kind of when i let go of this image of myself as this perfectionistic successful you know high achieving high performance and i was like i am what i am right now and this is it and it's a struggle and that's okay and I'm just going to like be patient with myself because that's all I can do. If I'm hard on myself, I'm going to suffer even more. So I'm glad I had that inner struggle and decided to just be a little more relaxed because I think it's enabled me as an adult to make decisions without getting too much in my head or overanalyzing and just saying, it is what it is. Let's, let's move forward. Um, so... Back in 2009, do you guys remember when the show Shark Tank came out? It was a big hit for me. I was really interested in it. It's based a spinoff of a similar show called Dragon Den in the UK, where hopeful business owners present their businesses to a panel of investors, or really successful millionaire, billionaire people, and they are hoping to get a deal and have them come in as part owners and use all their resources and... Whatever. So I loved the show. I thought it was amazing. I was, thought it was so exciting. And then later I actually met somebody who was on the show. She got a deal on the show. But then behind the scenes, the deal actually didn't really go through. But the show made it look like it did. And I found out that the whole thing's pretty staged, um, which is fine. The point was I really needed to be watching something that inspired me. Because I had wanted to start a business of my own that I could run from my house because the work I was doing at the time as a Spanish tutor took me out of my house. And the coaching I was doing, the life coaching was great, but my kids, I had had kids at that point and they were awake and I could try to schedule calls during their naps, but I don't know if it's Murphy's law, but if you try to plan on something, it it can go wrong. And I just, it wasn't working out anymore. So I was trying to find some type of business I could run from my house while my kids ran around, made as much noise as they wanted to. So I was watching Shark Tank for inspiration and reading some business books for inspiration. And I thought I had to have something so clever and revolutionary, this invention. And a couple times I was like, oh, what about this? And I talked to somebody about it and they're like, oh, yeah, but have you thought about that? And I was like, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea. You know, I'll, I'll keep thinking. Um, and I never really had that like brilliant idea But I do remember back in 2012, we had a weird heat wave in California. It was unusually hot. Normally when you live by the coast, so I was living in Costa Mesa at the time, the the hottest it really gets is like mid-80s. But it was mid-90s, maybe even in the low 100s for a few weeks. And nobody has air conditioning. Well, I mean, we didn't. My parents lived in Newport Beach. They didn't have air conditioning So it was really crazy hot and there was really no uh, relief unless you were swimming in the ocean or swimming in a pool. And I just remember thinking how uncomfortable I was every day because back then it was really trendy to layer your clothes. So you'd have like little camisoles that you put under your T-shirt because your T-shirt would be like a deep V-neck that was supposed to be worn with something underneath. And I looked at my closet and I only had... Maybe a handful of shirts that didn't have to be layered. And I was like, this is the worst because I don't want to layer my clothes right now. I just want to feel cool. I don't want to be, um, you know, feeling stifled by my clothing. This is really lame. Um, I wish that there was a company that would actually just specialize in making shirts that didn't have to be layered. Just like a simple, cute, modest shirt. Like, why, is it, why isn't there more of that out there? Why, is this, why does it seem like that's hard to find? And, um, I was thinking really, somebody should do that. And maybe it could just be seasonal, like in the summertime, that's a good idea. Somebody should. And then maybe I was thinking that way for about a week. And then by week two, I was like, well, maybe I could do it because I had actually already gotten a wholesale clothing license because I had done some boutique shows, you know, before Christmas time, I had sold some wholesale stuff. Well, I'd bought it wholesale and sold it retail. And I was like, well, I guess I could do it. And so I had this seed, this idea, like this problem needs to be fixed. I guess I could be the one to solve it. And it wasn't anything revolutionary like reinventing crutches. That was actually one of my ideas. Aren't crutches the worst? Somebody needs to make a better model. Um, They just like rub under your arm. They're not that, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) that was one of my ideas initially, but it was, it seemed so complicated. But this clothing thing is so simple and almost like stupid simple. Like why would that be successful? Anyway, I just had the thought and the energy was flowing like crazy around it. I had the idea, then I had all these other ideas. I was writing them down. I was moving forward, doing research. Where could I get the clothes? I could start a Facebook page. And I just kept going. And I was, it was like effortless almost. There was so much energy around it. And I was excited to move forward. And I was able to launch within three weeks of the idea. But the last decision I had to make before I was ready to officially launch um, was what am I going to call it? What's the business name going to be? And that was like, I understand my, my friend, my accountability buddy, Jennifer's conundrum, because the name is kind of a big deal. And so I was like, well, since I'm specializing in make in selling modest clothing, I guess I could just use the word modest in the name. Because back then, if you used a keyword that people would like search on Google. And that was then the name of your business that would help your Google ranking. So I was like, so that was a kind of a strategic move, but I didn't know what I wanted to call it besides that. And, um, Groupon was a big thing back then. And so I was thinking that I could do something like Groupon with a daily deal that ends. So there's urgency. And so I thought maybe I could call it modest pop, like a bubble was about to pop. So the logo, Had this big bubble in it. Anyway, I was like, that was the best I could come up with. I was like, Modest Pop, that's kind of dumb. I don't really like it. I'll give it like a B minus, maybe. But I couldn't think of anything else. And I was just like, you know what? I'm so excited. If I hem and haw over this, then I might lose my momentum and never do it. So guess what? It's just going to be called Modest Pop. Let's go. (laughs) I don't care anymore. It's fine. So now I've had the business for eight and a half years. Um, the most, the most common way that we get sales on the website, like the biggest referral of sales is people just typing in modestpop.com. That is, um, number one, number two is Google. So I guess my putting modest in the name was not too bad of an idea, but, um, yeah, two thirds, two thirds of the people that come to the website are coming there because they remember the name. So even though I still don't love it, like I've never loved it actually, But um, it got the job done. And it kept me from stalling, which could have ended in me not doing it at all. And um, it's been a great ride. I've had it for, like I said, eight and a half years. And it's done over two million in sales. And it's taught me a lot. And it's been a good adventure. There was a quote I used to play over in my head during this period of my life. I had gone to the life coaching school and the instructor, her name's Byron Katie, she said this a lot. She would say, do it wrong. And I I love that because it gives yourself permission to just go with it. And even if you aren't 100% sure it's going to be perfect, you're still going to move forward. Okay, now let's talk about a time in my life where I couldn't pull the trigger for years. I... I don't think it was necessarily perfectionism that was slowing me down, but I got stuck in procrastination for years. So I wrote a song in college and it was actually really good. I was really proud of it. It just kind of came to me and it was beautiful and I didn't know what to do with it. I played guitar and I remember having a friend of mine who was really good at guitar and in a band. He, I had him come help me write the chords for it. And then I just had this guitar song, and I had lyrics, and I just didn't know what to do with it. And I, as the years went by, music was really important to me. I love singing. I've been singing since I was just a little kid. And expressing myself through music has always been a huge way for me to feel close to God and a way for me to, for my heart to soften. I'm just really touched by music and I love singing and helping other people have that experience. And I've done some songwriting a little bit here and there since then. So as the years went by and I got married and started having children, I wanted to do more musically. I would sing at church and I had the opportunity here in Utah when we first moved here to be a guest singer with the band a couple of times, which was really cool. But I just never really felt like I was doing what I wanted to with music. I just felt like I wasn't doing a lot and I missed it. And I even actually went to a therapy session when we were living in Temecula area, California. And I went to talk to this therapist who was probably bewildered, like how often does this happen? And I was just like, I feel this... Like frustration that has been lingering for years now that I'm not doing what I want to be doing, but I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm a mom. I can't go join a band. I'm not 20 years old. I'm not going to sit at the airport when I'm waiting for my flight and sing with my guitar for change. I actually did that one time in Salt Lake. I, I can't do that anymore, but I don't know what to do. And I felt really lost. It wasn't that I was necessarily procrastinating, I just felt so stuck. And lost, and he he was trying to help me come up with some ideas of things I could do, and uh, I got to, you know, I met up with this guy from my church who was um, amazing with guitar and mandolin, and we would get together and kind of jam, and that was fun. And he was a songwriter, and it was cool to hear his stuff, but I still felt like I wasn't doing like almost like what I was meant to do, and it was very troubling. <laughs> It really was. It bothered me. And um, so three and a half years ago, my little boy, Wesley, passed away unexpectedly on Memorial Day. And I talk more about this in episode two, trauma, trauma triggers. But it was this crazy gift that he had given me or God had given me because he passed away on a Monday. And Wednesday morning, I woke up. I remember waking up, and every morning when you wake up, you have to kind of remind yourself of your new reality. And it's just staggering. So I sat down on the stairs outside of my bedroom. And I just remember having this huge sigh. And as I sighed, the words, Oh sweet boy, just came into my mind. And then all of a sudden there was this tune along with these words. And then more words, and the tune just kept flowing. And so I grabbed my phone and started writing in my notes the words to this song. And I recorded the tune on this app on my phone that records, so I wouldn't forget any of it. And then as the day went on, more of it would come to me, and I would stop, and I would put the words in my phone, and I would record the tune. And by one o'clock ish, I had a song and it was beautiful. And it was called Wesley's song. And it was all about this sweet boy and how he changed me and how I knew that even though this was a tragic experience, that God was in the fabric of it and God was still pouring out love to me. And it was like, This amazing revelation of a song that was just given to me, and I just was writing it down. Like I was the vessel, and it was just, it was coming through me, and I was just putting it to paper. And I knew that I had to do something with it, that it wasn't just given to me so that I could put it in the notepad on my phone. I knew that, and I remember like talking to God in my head, I was like, You don't want me to Do anything with this for the funeral. Like, you do not expect me to go sing this song at a funeral that's happening in like th- three days, right? <laughs> but I knew I was supposed to. So I texted my voice teacher, who's also this amazing pianist who can just take a tune and turn it into amazing accompaniment. And I just texted him and I told him what happened. And I said, Can you play for me at the funeral on Saturday? And he's like, I will be there. And so I we rehearsed about 45 minutes before it's no like maybe an hour and a half before it was supposed to start. And after 25 minutes we were done rehearsing and we had it and it was, it was perfect. And it just came together so beautifully. And then the following weekend we were in San Diego because Jeff's mom had passed. My husband, Jeff, his mom passed away three days after Wesley passed away. Just, this crazy coincidence and but I don't think it was a coincidence, but it's just crazy timing. And so in San Diego, another song came to me when I was sitting in the temple. Um, temple's a building um, that my church has. that's just dedicated to the Lord. It's a holy place. It's a sacred place where you can kind of meditate and just be still and the song, another song started coming to my mind. And when we got back from the temple, I just was like, vigor, like rigorously writing it down. Like, I don't want to forget this song. And I recorded it into my phone and just another song came to me. And then that happened a few times where songs just came to me and it was amazing. And I had this little collection of maybe five songs. And so I would go to my voice teacher who also has a recording studio at his house and I would record the songs So after I'd recorded a couple of them, um, I really wanted to put them on iTunes. That was a huge hurdle for me. I'd never put anything on there before. I knew that there were programs you could use to upload them to, and then they would put them on there for you. I didn't remember what they were called, so I had to do some Googling. It was really simple. I found one called DistroKid. DistroKid. And for, like, 20 bucks a year, you can just upload whatever you want to iTunes. There's no quality control. It's it's mind-blowing, really. But I I wanted to do it, and it was this, like, big goal of mine. But I couldn't just go ahead and do it. I knew how to do it, but I sat on it. And I just – it was, like, this most intimate part of my life. And it was putting myself out there in such a vulnerable – and real, honest, raw, authentic way. And I just don't think I, I was sure. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I didn't feel ready. I did not feel ready. And so I didn't do it. And then I was listening to a podcast called Awesome with Allison. And she was quoting a motivational speaker named Gary Vanderchuk. And when she said these, these five words they like jumped at me and they were like shaking me and telling me this is you, this is you right now. And the words were, she was talking about, you know, putting yourself out there. Don't be precious about it. Don't be precious about it. And I was like, but of course I'm going to be precious about it. This is my little boy. Like these songs came to me after he died. This is my heart. This is my soul. This is like my ambition for the last you know, 20 years of my life is do more musically. This is every, this is so important to me. Of course, I'm going to be precious about it. Modest pop has never been that precious. It's, It's an awesome avenue to make money and I enjoy and I'm grateful for it, but it's not my heart. It's never been my heart. Music, sharing, my testimony, that is my heart. And she was telling me not to be precious about it. That was exactly what I needed to hear. That was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to let go. And I just needed to do it because I knew it was right and I was letting fear stand in my way and I was not going to do that anymore. So I pushed the button and I published. And I put the songs on the blog that I had created for my little boy um, where I shared my journey of grief and music and the journey. It's called sweetwesleyswarriors.com. Anyway, I pushed the button and it was... There's kind of a weird experience when you do that because you're putting yourself out there and you feel vulnerable and it kind of feels exhausting in a way because you're opening your heart and you're sharing it with everybody. And that's a little overwhelming. So there's that initial like, "Woo, did I really just do that? But then you get over that and you're fine and you're grateful you did because, you know, you post about it on social media and your friends and family are saying, thanks for posting this. This was meaningful to me too. And then you just keep going. And then the next time you publish, you feel that, who am I really doing this again? And then you just, you push the button and you do it. And then you're like, okay, I can do this. And you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's okay. All right, I always want my podcast to be short, but this one's gonna be a little longer. Last but not least, when my husband and I went to Mexico last month, we went to this little island called Isla de las Mujeres. It's off the coast of Cancun, and it's this delightful little island. We had this amazing view from our um, hotel room. We had two balconies, and we were on this private island at this resort called Mia Reef, and it was just seriously like heaven. It was amazing. And they have this really cool um, area we could snorkel in. It's like a little bay. And I felt like I was a kid and it was amazing just going out there every day and snorkeling and swimming and exploring for like an hour and a half, just playing like a child. It was fantastic. I don't get to do that in my normal life as much as I want to. I could just let go. And this sounds so cheesy, but this is the best way to describe it is reconnecting with my inner child and letting myself be free and play and explore. Um, And that's kind of how I feel about this topic too, is that perfectionism can stop you from just being free to create and free to explore ideas and thoughts. When your cute little four-year-old draws this kind of scribbled picture of her family and with stick figures and faces with big eyebrows and like huge ears because that's how she, you know, that's how her brain helps her draw. Like that's what she sees in her head. And you, and you look at it and it's not perfect. It doesn't look just like you. You are still in love with it. And you put it on the fridge because she created it because she loves you. And she wanted to share that with you. You don't look at it and say, you know what, honey, those ears are super out of proportion. You kind of failed on this one. Why don't you try again when you're a little older and you can do it right. You don't say that to her. You don't say that to her. So why would you say that to you? Why would you say that to you when you're trying to create something? I love those little art painting classes you can go to where it's step-by-step and the teacher shows you what to do. I've never been like a super gifted artist when it comes to painting, drawing, the visual arts. I remember in elementary school who the kids were that were amazing at art. And for fun, one day I looked them up on Facebook. I'm like, they're all working in the arts. They, do, like they belong there. That's their gift. I was never gifted in that way. But does that mean I shouldn't show up at those classes that I love and paint a picture of the sunset with a sailboat? Of course I should still do that. And just because when mine does not turn out even remotely close to as good as the teacher's, does that mean I should not hang it on my bathroom wall for nine years because I don't have anything better to hang and because I like looking at it? It's fine. I finally took it down last year because I kind of got tired of looking at it. It had been a long time. But I didn't not hang it because I was afraid that people would be like, they were using my bathroom and look at that and say, ooh, that's so homegrown. Like how quaint and cute that she thinks she can paint. Whatever. I just put it up on my wall because I liked it. But sometimes I don't feel like I or lots of people give ourselves that permission to just explore and have fun with something. Are we stopping ourselves from doing something that we would enjoy just because we're not going to be the most proficient at it because somebody else can do it better? There's always going to be somebody else that can do it better, but we don't need to be that voice in our heads. That's putting ourselves down, criticizing, slowing us down. If our inner child wants to go paint a picture, go paint the picture, you know, stop, stop this, this the self-talk that keeps you from just being free and having fun and enjoying creation, creating something that makes you happy. You know, it's ironic because This episode has taken me longer than any of the others. I have spent more time editing and trimming because I feel like this is important and I wanted to make sure I presented it in a clear way, but it is kind of ironic because it's about procrastination and perfectionism and I have been most meticulous about this episode. Also a quick side note on creating things. It just so happens I can't actually do a lot of this during the day when I'm busy, this podcast, I have to do it in the wee early morning hours. When I wake up at five o'clock and I can't fall back asleep, it's go time. (laughs) That is when I am able to pull some creativity and not be rushing through something. You know, when I've got my kids and I've got life happening around me, it, it doesn't really allow me to tap into the creativity. So sometimes you just have to create space so that you can have the courage and you can have the ideas, you know, flowing in order to take your aspiration to the next level. To finish up, I want to quote Kate Holbrook. She gave a wonderful talk at the BYU 2020 Women's Conference. She, said, she quoted Voltaire and she said, The perfect is the enemy of the good. What he means to say is that perfectionism can paralyze us and prevent us from accomplishing the good that can simply result from trying. So hopefully you can put yourself into this episode and think of ways that maybe you're holding yourself back like I did and let yourself be free and just do what you want to do and do it because you like it or trust yourself to move forward and like an aspiration that you have, even if you're not 100% sure that it's just right, it's going to be okay it's it's not always it's not going to be perfect but it's going to be good. And good is definitely worth pursuing.